Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, September 2nd. Welcome to September. And it's a nice, cool day here on the East Coast of the United States. As many of you know, I'm a sales coach and trainer. I work with both individuals and organizations to help them get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network to be a place where we can elevate the profession of sales, where you can come and ask questions and get help from experts like me and many others. And every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we either do a training or a live interview with someone who can add profession to the uh, add value to the profession of sales. Uh, if you're watching us live, please do say hello in the comments. If you're watching us on Facebook and you have not connected your Facebook account to StreamYard, we're not going to know who you are. So if you are uh, placing a comment in there, please do give, your, give, give us your name. And if you're watching us on replay, please put replay in the comments. And with that, it's my pleasure to welcome our guest for today. I think you're going to be as excited as I am, or I hope you're going to be as excited as I am, because Rini Yudkowsky is a memory expert, a memory coach. And I have a bad case of CRS. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's can't remember stuff. So good morning, Rina. Hello there. It's actually afternoon where I am. I'm coming to you from Israel. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I've got a bunch of questions, mostly for my uh, my own purposes, but I hope they uh, help everybody. Uh, good morning, Joanne. Uh, she says it's a very good topic. Dan Schmidt, my friend. Good morning. Good to see you. Steve Kent, always a pleasure. And Robin Long, our licensed real estate person from Long Island. Good to see you too. So Rita, before we get to the questions that I have for you, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you up to this point? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. So I'm a geriatric social worker and a memory coach. So I started out working with geriatrics and working a lot with dementia. And when you see memory not working, like memory failing and, and brain issues like that, it really, it's like, you just wonder what makes memory work and what makes it not work. And it's fascinating. So over the years, I developed this course that I teach and I was teaching it here live in Israel many times to people over 50 all over Israel. And then a few years ago, I decided to go online, but that's my background. My background is coming from working with dementia and Alzheimer's and being fascinated by memory. And then I put the course online and now I can be all over the world doing webinars on memory and, and teaching memory to lots of people. And it's, it's amazing. I can sit here in Israel, be in, in New York and England in the same day. <laughs> Got it. So you, you said a word that and my brain immediately said, huh, is that me? What is geriatric? How, how old do you have to be to be considered in that category? So it's such a good question because I always say, I always talk about seniors and some people love the word seniors. Some people hate the word seniors. So I'm now saying 50 plus, even though people that are 50 do not consider themselves seniors, right? But it doesn't even matter the age. Here's the point. The point is if you either are worried about your memory or want to improve your memory because you want to keep it sharp for a very long time. Or there are a lot of people that are caregiving for their parents who are suffering with memory loss, and they don't want to end up like that. They want to know, what can I do now when I'm 50 and 60, so that when I'm 80 and 90, I really have a sharp memory. So that's the goal. We're trying to help people uh, stay sharper, longer through techniques and empowerment. Got it. So uh, I can't even see 50 in the rearview mirror. So I guess I am a geriatric, but that's okay by me. I, I don't really go much with labels. Uh, good morning, Craig Atkins from uh, Targum Translations. Good to see you, my friend. Ray Aurora, always good to see you. And let's see, Joanne says, having technical difficulties, we'll wait till replay. Okay, sorry about that, Joanne. So um, we're, we're going to talk about dimension a bit, but uh, uh, I always do research when somebody like you is coming on. And I noticed on your website that you quote Dr. Pam Smith who says at 95, yep. your brain should be just as sharp, sharp as at 24. Really? 
I mean, most people aren't, but some are. Why are some people still mentally sharp at 95, but others just aren't? I love that quote. It is such a powerful quote. So thanks for bringing it up. Um, I I actually watched the whole, she's an anti-aging doctor, functional medicine doctor, and she really has a whole progressive approach to aging and helping people actually reverse dementia. So it's really fascinating stuff. So that you're asking a really good question. Why do some people age more healthfully with their brain more intact than others? So of course, there are lots of factors and lots of components that affect how we age. And genetics is one part of it, but a very small piece of it. You know, 30 years ago, if you would have asked me or any of the doctors, we would have said genes are it. If you have a gene for Alzheimer's, you're doomed. That is not what they're saying today. They're saying that genetics is a very small piece, which is very good news for anyone that is either caring for a parent or grandparent with dementia or has it in their history because we no longer have to be like, I'm just going to get it. And that's it. That is not, it is not inevitable at all. The research is there's so much you can do to to age more healthfully than your parents and grandparents. But it takes, you know, it's nothing's easy. There's no magic medicine. There's no magic bullets. Um, so, you know, it's a lot about diet and exercise and socialization and hobbies and keeping your brain challenged and stimulated, which is what we'll get into in a little bit. But it's very interesting to see the factors. You know, there's this whole research called the Blue Zones, where they went to these, um, I think they used to be five, now it's up to seven different areas in the world, where people were living to over 100 without disease. Unbelievable. So they went to study them. And to make a long story short, I'll say in one sentence, the conclusion of the study was, the people that lived to over 100 with no disease were exercising, eating really healthy, staying very socially active, keeping their mind sharp, and had purpose and meaning in their life. Not shocking, but that is a lot of factors, and we sort of have to work at it. It's not going to happen by itself. Diet and exercise, I'm doomed. Mm. Well, no, you're not doomed. <laughs> it's never too late to start exercising. Got it. Good morning, Joe Pontius. Good to see you, my friend, from AP Packaging. Um, you say... Don't retire your brain, rewire your brain. What does that mean? Right. Okay, that's also a good one. So basically, when what happens when a lot of people retire, they end up in the doctor's office. I see this over and over and over. What happens? They retire. They stop doing all the stimulating, cognitively stimulating and socially stimulating stuff they were doing for many years, um, even if it was stressful. Um, and what happens? They end up with all sorts of diagnoses and illnesses and Boredom, which is terrible. Boredom is really bad for the brain because we're not challenging. We're not using it. So it's back to the use it or lose it that we've always said, use it or lose it. So we don't want to retire your brain. We don't want to stop using it. We want to rewire. What does that mean? It means make more connections. We want our brains connecting because as we age, brain cells die. But this what we not now know called neurogenesis, which means we can make new connections. How do we do that? Through staying cognitively stimulated, challenged. I'm socially stimulated, back to all the different factors. And the techniques that I teach, all the memory techniques are also good brain exercises. When you work your brain, when we're going to get to names in a minute, but when you work your brain to remember names, you are stimulating your brain. You are making more connections in the brain. And that's neurogenesis. And at any age, we can do that. We can make more connections. By the way, exercise also makes more connections in the brain. So there's a lot of reasons you want to be exercising. Got it. So, um, I just came back from a fa fabulous vacation uh, with my oldest daughter and uh, 
as opposed to me, she actually was studying Italian. We were we were uh-huh. in Greece and then Rome, and she was studying Italian. So learning a new language, is that what you're talking about? The type of yes. that's going to create new neural pathways? Learning a new language is amazing for the brain. Another thing is um, learning to play an instrument. So if all your life you've been wanting to play guitar, now would be a good time to learn. Is it might be harder? It might be. Is it going to take you longer? Maybe. But it's so good for the brain. So a, lang- a new language and music are amazing. And then there's a lot of other ideas brain exercises, um, games, things like yoga. Yoga and meditation are very good for the brain. It, it calms the brain and stimulates it at the same time. Um, things also like uh, table tennis. Table tennis is very good for the brain. So that's a combination of exercise, fun, social stimulation, and dancing. Dancing is really good for the brain. So uh, there's a lot of things that are going to make those connections in the brain that are fun. You don't just have to be like doing something boring or something you don't enjoy. We can find fun ways to stimulate our brain, challenge it, and keep it young. And you mentioned dancing. I know you like dancing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's one of the things on my, on my profile. Um, I do love dancing. It's one of my hobbies that I wish I had more time for. I love Israeli folk dancing. Um, I have a daughter that dances beautifully. I wish I had more time. It, it, that's on my bucket list to dance more. <laughs> Got it. So I do crossword puzzles every night, every night, because I enjoy them. But I also remember reading an article once that said doing something like that can help stave off Alzheimer's. Is that actually true? So, yeah. So crossword puzzle is one thing that's good for your brain. Now, can I guarantee you that if you do a crossword puzzle every night, you're not going to get dementia? No one could guarantee you that. But what are you doing? You're challenging and stimulating the brain. So it is good for you. However, it's good for one part of your brain. We got to work out all the different parts of your brain. So, for example, like if you say to me, is is um, lifting bicep, you know, is doing bicep curls, lifting weights good for my biceps? I'll say, yeah. But what about the rest of the body? So crossword puzzles are great for one part of the brain. We also need to work the coordination and the PFC and we need to do um, we need to do things that calm the brain. We need to do things with math, especially if you're not good at math. You want to challenge that part of the brain that's weaker. So yeah, yeah, me too. So so crossword puzzles are great. Keep doing them. But there's other things that you can do. You want to do a variety of brain exercises. Got it. So now I'm sitting here wondering which would I rather, which would I prefer not to do? Is it <laughs> doing math or actually exercise. I think I'd rather exercise. I, I'm hor- my daughter who I went away with. She's brilliant at math. She's uh, physics. She eats it up for breakfast. Her math. She shows wow. it. She's in college right now studying aerospace engineering. As you can imagine, oh, wow. her math is uh, from another planet. But uh, her, to her, it comes naturally. It never did for me. So I think I actually would rather work out than uh, than do math. Uh, <laughs> but you can find uh, fun ways to stimulate your brain. It doesn't have to be math. It could be you know, other fun things that work out different parts of the brain. There's all sorts of games and exercises you can do to keep sharp. Got it. And good morning to Mark Lawrence, uh, my favorite self-proclaimed fat guy. Uh, somebody saying drive a different route, brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand. Are those also yes. things that you can do? Yes. Why? Why are those good? Because you are creating new neuronal pathways in the brain. My brain is used to brushing my teeth with my right hand. When I go like this with my left hand, my brain goes, wait, wait, what are you doing? I got a new, I, I need a new neuronal pathway for that because it's hard. It's, I'm not used to doing it like that. So yes, they say to do things a little differently than usual, sort of shake up your routine so that your brain has to stop and think. Okay, another rough one for me because I am a routine and a process guy, but I was just trying to think. Could I actually brush my teeth with my other hand? I guess I could. Okay, I'm going to give this a try. Yeah. Dan Schmidt's asking, what about coffee? Okay, 
coffee, coffee is one of those things that there's some debate about. It's like this. There is research that shows that there is something in coffee that is good for your brain. I've seen a couple different studies that people that drink coffee do live longer, do. However, what do people put in coffee? Tons of sugar, right? Or they drink seven coffees a day. So they're like so much caffeine going through their body. So the research is that there is something good about coffee. The problem is what you put in it and a little coffee is good for you. So everything in moderation is what I say. Got it. Okay. And I think you work mostly with people over 50, but what type of results do you typically see in your work? So I have seen some amazing stuff. I've taught my courses online. I have a membership and I do one-on-one. So from all of that, you know, people have said to me, first of all, they didn't even believe that they could remember what I taught them to remember. Like not only they didn't know how to, but they didn't believe they could. I have to start with teaching them that you can do it. Like when I give out, I start my course by giving out 12, 12 pictures of faces and names and people give up. They don't even try. They don't even try to remember because they don't believe they can. And then I teach them the techniques and then I have them do it at the end and they go, I can't believe this. I can't believe I could do this. And when I see that, I get so excited because like, yes, that is the goal to convince people that they can believe in their memory, that their memory can work better for them. Even at an older age, I've had people in their 80s do my courses and they come back to me and they say, wow, I'm not so worried about getting dementia anymore because I have the tools I need. Or one lady met me in the street. She had done my course with me live here and she met me in the street a while back and she says, Rena, whenever I do your tips, they work. And whenever I, I don't, whenever I forget something, I say, okay, what tip did Rena teach me? It's going to work. <laughs> and they just, it works. It's like, it's, it's easy. It's easy stuff. You just have to learn it. So the belief that you have a bad or good memory affects, because I have to admit, I'm a very positive guy, but I constantly say, I have a terrible memory. So that is the first thing you need to do to improve your memory is stop saying that. If you come to me, if I say my name is Renee Kowski and you say to me, oh, I'm not good at names. I'm not going to remember that. What is the chance you're going to remember my name? Zero, almost zero. But if I say Renee Kowski and then we go through the things that I'm going to teach you to remember my name, you will have a hundred percent confidence that you're going to remember my name. It is a totally different scenario. It's a totally different script going through your brain. Jim Quick has a great saying. He says, if your brain is a supercomputer, then your self-talk is the program that your brain runs on. I'll say that again. If your brain is a supercomputer, which it is, then your self-talk is the program it runs on. So whatever's going through that brain, I can't remember names. I'm not good at names. Then you are not good at names. But I, I do convince people that they can remember names. And then, it, and then it's like, I got this. I got this. You no longer have that script running through your brain. And therefore, you no longer are, I can't remember names. Yep. I've made that into a standard excuse with people. You know, I know I've met it's you. not I'm a so good sorry. excuse. I, I have a terrible memory for names. I, I often actually say, I'm a professional speaker. I sometimes meet 500 people in a day. I know I know you. I'm an idiot. Please refresh my memory. No, and it, it's a crutch. No, you are not an idiot. You could ask people to refresh your memory, but do not say you're an idiot and do not say you're bad at names. <laughs> wow. Okay. Change that script. The script is now, I really would like to remember your name. Just help me for a second. Let's see. Somebody saying coffee drinkers are more fun. Uh, <laughs> that here's, might be true. <laughs> here's a question. Is there a difference between short and long-term memory? I'm going to say that that's a yes, but why don't you expand on that? Of course. Of course, there's a difference. So, um, Okay, I don't want to go into the whole, how memory works can be complicated. I'll just answer that question. 
So short-term memory is what's right here, right in front of me right now. So it's like seven seconds. I look up, I look up um, a number in the phone book. I, I repeat it a few times. I shut it. I go dial it. It's gone. It's gone. I just needed it for those few seconds. It's right here, right now, working memory. Once, then it goes, if you pay attention to it, and if it gets, if it's important, if, if you do what you need to, to get it filed into long-term memory, then it's in your memory bank with all your memories, and then you can recall it when you need it. So some people actually split it up as short-term memory, then working memory, then long-term memory. There's a couple different ways to, to explain this. But the bottom line is, so what I ate for breakfast could be short-term memory or it could be long-term memory because it could already be stored in there. Now, if you can't remember what you ate for breakfast, I'm going to tell you it's because you were probably multitasking. You were talking on your phone or you were typing an email or you were listening to the radio or you were reading a newspaper. And if you were doing all that while eating breakfast, and you tell me, Rena, I can't remember what I ate for breakfast, I'm going to tell you, stop multitasking and actually be present and be mindful of everything you're doing. And that is an underlying principle in memory. The next time you say, I can't remember something, I want you to ask yourself a question. Here's the question. Did I even pay attention to this in the first place? Where did I put my glasses? Where did I put my keys? Where's my phone? I can't remember anything. No. Did I even pay attention to when I put my keys down? Did I even pay attention to when I took my glasses off? And the answer most of the time is going to be no. If the answer is yes and you're really worried about it, come come check in with me. But I'm telling you right now, the answer is going to be, I was on the phone when I put my keys down. Of course, I don't know where they are because my brain, it didn't even get into any memory. Forget short-term and long-term memory. If you put your keys down, you threw them down, and you were on the phone talking, there is no memory made of that. Therefore, you can't recall it. Interesting you say that because uh, my ex-wife used to be famous for, where are my keys? Where's my hair clip? Where's everything? And I always know where everything is, but I haven't attributed to memory. It's because I'm super organized. I, I put things in the same exact place every single time so that I don't have to think about. I mean, I have a, a thing right next to my, uh, my door where I hang my keys when I walk in the door. My phone, everything, I'm super organized. Everything's in the same place. So I don't have to worry about figuring out where did I leave something. But I can't tell you how many times I've opened up a browser and by the time it opens, I've forgotten what I was going to look for. Millions. Uh, I walk into the kitchen. What did I come in here for? Uh, it, it's just gone. So yeah. how much part of memory is focus? Yes. So by the way, organization and memory go hand in hand. And like you said, you can compensate a lot for memory with, with organization. So that's a very important point. Um, and yes, one of my favorite webinars that I do is called, What Did I Come to the Fridge For? And it's four techniques for focus. And I'll just tell you one of them. Focus is super, super tied to memory because you come in, you open your fridge, and you say, what I come for? That's not a memory issue. That is a focus issue. From when you had the thought in the living room, I need the milk from the fridge, till you got to the fridge, what happened in here? 10 thoughts, 20 thoughts, 100 thoughts, your phone ring, your doorbell ring, you get to the fridge. It is not a memory issue. You are totally distracted, either by internal distractions, your thoughts, or external distractions, your phone, your Facebook pinging, your, all your notifications, someone calling your name in the house or the doorbell ringing. So you get to the fridge and it's like, that was a hundred thoughts ago. So it's not a memory issue. It is absolute focus and attention. We live in such a distracted world. You said your browsers. I have about a hundred browsers open on my computer. And when I flip back and forth through them, I'm totally distracting myself. So when I'm always online, I'm always distracted. And what am I doing? Of course I can't finish a task because I'm not allowing myself to focus and be present on one thing at a time. 
Multitasking totally trips up our brain. And I know this is hard for people in sales to hear because their salespeople are totally famous or infamous for doing 100 things at once, right? You have a lot of things going through your head, details about people, details about products, details about offers and sales. But you know what? That's why we can't remember people's names. That's why we can't remember what we went to the fridge for because we're allowing ourselves to be distracted by so many different things. Oh, I'm blaming my dog because every time I get up to go to the kitchen, my dog jumps up and runs down his little ramp and bumps into me. I'm like, what are you doing? Maybe it's your fault, Duke. That's right. He's laying behind me right now. Let's see. I want I want you to know something that typically during these interviews, I ask all the questions and every now and then somebody pops one in, but we've got to, people are very interested in this subject. Uh, yeah. First of all, somebody said, organized, look at the books behind you. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am very organized. Um, and it's great. It, it, if you have a place for those keys, you will never lose them. I have on the drawer right, you can't see my desk, I'm at a desk. There is a um, a shelf that slides out for the keyboard. That is where my calendar is. And yes, I'm still a pen and paper calendar. That calendar does not move from there. And I write down everything I need to do. I, yes, I'm old fashioned pen and paper, but it's always there, always, always, always there. My kids know they cannot move my calendar by penalty of death. <laughs> my kids know don't move anything by penalty of death. And my son, <laughs> who's a wise guy like his father, loves to come into my house. And when I'm out of the room, he'll move like a statue an inch because he knows I'll walk into the room and go, what happened? <laughs> and it, dri- it, drives, it drives me nuts. I, I love order and hate disorder. It really yeah. makes me kind of crazy. Uh, I'm going to get to other people's questions. Uh, uh, somebody wants to ask, where did that go? Oh, here we go. When does forgetfulness be something to be concerned about? Great question. Great question. Great. Okay. So you can't find your keys once in a while. No big deal. You know, you're daydreaming when you're driving. You miss the exit. No big deal. That happens to all of us, even at young ages, right? So when do we start to worry? And I actually, this is my lead magnet. If you want for free, I have a checklist of normal versus abnormal memory loss. Just join my email list. We'll give you those links afterwards. But here's the underlying principle. When it becomes pervasive, that it's happening so much that you can't function independently, then it's abnormal. So if you can never find your keys and so that you can't get out the door to your appointments or you're missing appointments because you can't find your keys then that's abnormal. Or when you're driving and you can't remember which exit to take, that's abnormal. I know that's like extreme, but it does happen to people. Or when you um, you lose independence, people as they age, they can't function independently, that's more of a problem. Now, there's a lot between losing your keys once and 100 times a day. There's a whole continuum there. And a lot of it is normal, but sometimes it's not. So when you also, um, when you can't communicate as well, that's more abnormal. Um, dementia comes a lot of times with personality changes. But here's the thing. If you're at all concerned or you want to be reassured that you're okay, which I love to do, you can contact me for memory assessment. You could go to your local memory clinic, speak to a neurologist, go for a workup. Um, but a lot of times people tell me their list of issues and I'm able to reassure them that it's not anything serious. But if you're worried, go get checked out because it's, today the name of the game is early, you know, early prevention or let's learn what we can do and do everything possible. Um, if you do have something, you know, serious going on, unfortunately, there's the medicines are not good, but there's a lot of lifestyle factors that you can change that will help your brain function better. So if you are concerned, get in touch with a professional who does memory assessments and, and, you know, either we'll reassure you or we'll tell you, you know, let's, let's look at this further, but it's pretty much the underlying principle is when you 
lose independence or you're really not functioning the way you want to be, then it could be more serious. Mm. It's very reassuring that you uh, are emphasizing that it's many times a focus issue. And you used an example that I've used with my coaching clients many times. Uh, I often talk about the fallacy of multitasking. And the example I always give is I was driving to a a comedy gig to a place I'd been a million times before, but I'm talking on the phone to a friend and I drove right by my exit. I went, you're not going to believe this. I just drove right by the exit. Now I got to turn around because I wasn't focused. Brilliant. Uh, You you are not supposed to be talking on the phone while driving. It is not only illegal. I mean, you're going to tell me it's not illegal to be on a speaker, but I'm going to tell you that your brain cannot drive and talk on the phone at the same time. We all do it. We should not be doing it. Uh, we, we need to stop doing it because it is so, so, so dangerous. And this is why, because your brain cannot multitask like that. It can do um, what we call sequential processing, like one thing after another very quickly, but we can't really do two things at the same millisecond. And that's why there's such a heavy penalty and fee for actually talk, driving while talking on a cell phone. If you're holding it, in some places it's illegal to even speak on speakerphone. But the point is that when you drive and talk, you are four seconds slower. No, no, I'm sorry. Half a second slower, half a second slower to step on the brakes, but half a second is a big, that's a big difference between a crash, right? Um, and cell phone talkers, of course, are, are more likely to get into car accidents, which we understand. Um, it's really dangerous for your brain. And especially as we age, it gets more difficult to pay attention to more than one thing at a time. All the older people I work with tell me that. Um, and that I, we know that to be true about our brain. So I really try to stop talking on the cell phone while driving. It's just not, it's not good for us. It also stresses us out and it's uh, dangerous. Uh, you know, I haven't studied it like you have, but I talk about the fact that you can't multitask it. Yeah. I, I'll often ask an audience, how many of you are great multitaskers? And all, almost every hand goes up. And I tell, no, you're not. Your, your brain can only focus on one thing at any given nanosecond. And it's mentally exhausting because your brain is switching back and forth constantly. Exactly. Two things. It's better to focus on one thing at a time. It never occurred to me that that has to do with memory, too. So thank you for yeah, sharing that. It has a lot to do with memory. Yeah. And Beth Conway says maybe there's hope for her after today. Yes. Uh, yes. There's definitely hope. I actually have some. Can I throw out a really good tip for that about the sunglasses sure. and the. Okay. Here's the solution to, you know, opening the fridge and what did I come to the fridge for? Or where did I put my glasses? I have a couple different solutions, but here's a really simple, silly one. When I, I'm sitting in my living room saying, I need the milk from the fridge. And then I get up and I go, instead of allowing my, my own thoughts to distract me, I'm going to say milk, 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 till I get to the fridge. What am I doing? I'm just keeping myself Focused. Focused on what I'm doing, one task at a time. Same thing with your keys. The next time you put your keys down, you're not on the phone. I'm going to watch my hand put those keys down. I'm going to listen to the clink of the keys. Using your senses is one of the most powerful tools you can use for focus and memory. So when I put those keys down, I'm watching my hand drop. I'm putting, wait, I got to get my hands on the screen. Watching them drop out of my hands. I'm hearing the clink of the keys on the coffee table. I look at the coffee table, see the keys there right? I'm using my eyes, my hands, my ears. And then I say out loud, I have put the keys on the coffee table. I have put the keys on the coffee table. That takes two seconds to do what I just said. Those two seconds is a difference between paying attention and making it a memory that you're going to remember or talking on the phone, you're doing things and there's no, there's no encoding of it at all, at all. So now we're encoding it properly. Encoding is getting it from short-term memory to long-term memory. And you're encoding it by using your senses and by speaking out loud. 
Now you can do this to remember that you locked your door, which I know is a big issue for people. We all obsess about locking our doors, turning off the stove, which can be a serious danger issue, um, where you put stuff, whether you have appointments, say it out loud. I have now locked my door. I have now turned off the stove. I have put my glasses on the nightstand. It takes one second to say that, but what does it do? It encodes it in your brain properly so that when you want it, you can retrieve it properly. So I think you've an, an, already answered uh, my next question, which comes back to focus, but uh, I, I was going to ask, why can I remember the words to every Beatles song that I heard 50 years ago, but I can't remember what I ate for breakfast or if, even if I had breakfast? Is it, it does right. it really come back to focus again? Yes, and it's in there. The Beatles songs is in there because it was important to you. It's like, it's really solidly in that memory brain bank, that memory bank. You can recall it because it was fun and important and interesting to you, right? What you ate for breakfast, either you weren't paying attention to it or it's not really that important. Our brain has an amazing ability to filter out what's not important. So if I asked you what you ate for breakfast seven days ago, you're going to be like, I don't remember. But not you don't remember. It's your brain filtered that out a long time ago because you didn't need it. So it's there's almost like a garbage can. I explain this in my course, how the memory works. And after every step of the memory process, there's a little garbage can. And whatever we don't need is filtered out. It's an amazing process. Now, sometimes we think, that things were thrown out that I needed because <laughs> we I can't recall it. But it's usually because it wasn't important to you and important enough to you. You didn't care about it or wasn't interesting enough. So with that all is helpful in remembering names and anything else we're going to talk about, which is make it important. If it is very important to you to remember my name because you care about me, that's the first step. You got to care enough to remember. Like I've had people say, you know, oh, I don't care to remember those people's names. Well, if you don't care, then you're, you don't have a high chance of remembering it. Now, when I go to a social event and meet new people, I really care about people's names. First of all, I'm a social worker. Second of all, I'm a memory coach. And I just want, I want to know people's names. I also understand that names are people's identity and names are the sweetest sound to our ears. So as salespeople, you know that it is very important to remember names. It is the number one business networking skill, I would say. It's the number one business networking skill. If you know my name, Jeff, you are showing me that you care about me. You are showing me, you know, by saying my name, you can make me feel like a million dollars. So it is very important to remember people's names. And part of that is we start with focus and attention. Because if I'm, if I say, if I meet you and you say, hi, my name is Jeff Goldberg, but I'm talking on my phone, I can't remember your name because I didn't even hear your name. What, 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 do you, what feeling do you get when I'm talking on my phone when I meet you? I'm not important. You are not important to me. But if I'm looking at you in the eyes and I'm focused on you and, and I don't allow anyone else to disrupt me for at least a couple seconds when we meet and you say, hi, my name is Jeff Goldberg and I care and I really, it's important to me to remember your name because I know how much it means to you, then I'm focused on you. I'm focused on that name. I'm going to make sure I hear it. You cannot remember something you didn't hear. So if I say my name is, did you hear that? I, I just mumbled it. I just mumbled it under my breath. You can't remember that because you didn't hear it. So before you come complain to me that you don't remember my name, you got to hear it. You got to care to know it. You got to be interested and make it and make it interesting to you. So, for example, could, do you want to talk about names for a minute? Uh, yes, it's. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. I was going to ask you about it later because it is so important. It's why I okay. love name tags so much. I love when yeah. people are wearing name tags. It's it's uh, your name's right there for me. I can That's see right. it, so I don't have to remember it. I love that. But yes, please tell us all. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's interested in remembering names better. I know you're not the only one because this is one of the hottest topics in memory is names. 
Most people come to a memory course because they want to work on remembering names. And most people believe they're bad at names. Like a lot of people say, oh, I know your face, but what's your name? I can't remember your name. Because our face is, we remember faces because it's visual, right? We see it, but the name we hear, so it's harder to remember. But so so we, we said why it's important to remember names. Number one, business, social, networking skill, especially as salespeople, you show, you show me that you care about me. Um, it's very, um, it's, it's, it's my identity. My name is my identity. So, so when you look at my name, the first thing you want to say is, well, what does Rena mean? Rena is actually Hebrew, right? So when I say my name, you're going to make sure you hear it. And then you're going to comment if, if it's an interesting name, or you might say, are you related to that Yudkowsky that I know? Or what does Rena mean? If it's a name you never heard before, or if it's a name that's hard to spell, you're going to ask me how to spell it. You're taking some interest. What does that do? You're paying attention to it. So you're making sure you heard it. You're going to pay attention to my name by asking me about it or making a comment or saying, oh, that's my sister's name or, you know, what is it? So, in, for example, Rena is actually Hebrew. It's a Hebrew name. And it means, you know what it means, Jeff? I don't. No. Rena is Hebrew. It means joy. It means joy. So what I usually do is I make this cute little movement. I go, Rena's jumping for joy. And like I jump up in the air. So Rena's jumping for joy. Now I just gave you, I made, I just gave you something interesting to know about me. I gave you a way to remember it. I told you what it means. And I made myself memorable because I did this like jumping for joy thing, right? So now you have a visual image and a meaning. So Rena now isn't just Rena. Now it means joy. So it has meaning to you and it has a visual with it. And I, you just gave it a couple more seconds of attention, which means that you are much more likely to remember it, right? Because attention and focus is one of those things that is going to encode it into our long-term memory. Right, but that's so, you helping me. And most people at networking groups aren't, my name is John, kind of like the toilet. Uh, right. No, that's what I help people do is you have to do it for yourself. The technique that we do to remember names is I'm helping myself remember it. But this is what we do. What I just did for you is what you would do. So you would ask me about my name. You would make sure you, you hear it. You would repeat it back to me a couple of times. Um, because why? When you hear yourself say it, you're using your senses. When you hear yourself say it, you're using your senses. You, the more senses you use to encode the memory, the more likely it is that you're going to remember it. Your senses are very powerful. That This is only the first, first step of the technique. We go on to more um, when I teach it, but this alone is actually powerful. If you even say my name back to me a few times in the conversation, you already have a much higher chance of remembering it because you're hearing yourself say it. Now, it still could go in one ear and out the other, but you're paying more attention to it. You're giving it meaning. You're putting a vision. Uh, you're using your imagination with it. These are all things that help you remember better. Now, like with every good technique, you have to practice it. So that's what, that's what I do when I teach the technique in, in my master class. We really practice, practice, practice. But here are the principles. Make it meaningful. If Rena Yudkowsky means nothing to you, you're not going to remember it. If you can make it meaningful through the techniques that we teach, then you will remember it. So it's make it meaningful. It's put a picture to it because our mind thinks in pictures. So whatever you see, you could remember. So that's why the, these are the uh, these are the important principles, but we got to practice it. So so if I meet you and I don't know you, I, I meet you and I go, Rena, that's like renal. She's like a kidney. I remember a kidney. That, just thinking yeah. about that association yeah. is gonna help me remember Rena. Yeah. Because I've Absolutely. heard the I've heard the repeat the name three times, a million times, and I've hi John, nice to meet you, John. A pleasure to meet you, John. That doesn't work for you. That's not. No. Okay. So and, and, and I think part of it is the me telling myself I suck at remembering names. So and I'm very big on positive self-talk and I 
I'm realizing that I've been doing this all my life. So it's firmly implanted in there, but I, I can work on that. I can make the that. The minute you change that self-talk, you'll be able to remember the names. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, the minute you can change that self-talk, like with anything with mindset, the minute you change that self-talk and say, there are techniques. I can learn techniques. I just, I need a couple minutes, whatever it is, to practice some techniques and I can do this. Yes, what you just do with my name, Rena Renal. That makes it so much easier. Now, I would I would take it one step further in the technique that I teach to really connect it to me so that it's really, really strong and connected even to my face and to something about me that you know, to really, to really make sure it's there solidly. But yeah, what you just did is amazing. So the first thing you do when you meet someone, no, not the first thing. The first thing you do is you make sure you heard the name. Because sometimes people say names and I did not hear what they just said. And I ask them to repeat it because I know there's no way I can remember if I don't repeat it. So you're hearing it, you're commenting on it, and you're repeating it back. Those are the first three steps. After that, you go to making it meaningful, turning it into a picture. And exactly how we I practice with, I, I can almost give you like a list of all the names and what picture you can make with it. Mm. It's it's very powerful technique. And everyone says, oh, but it's so tedious. It takes so long. Once you learn it, you get good. As you practice the technique, you get good at it. and it also takes a long time to forget names <laughs> and to feel so anxious that you can't remember people's names. That takes time also. And even more powerfully for your audience, you could lose a sale over not knowing someone's name. People if do you cannot remember that your client's name, you could lose a sale over that. So that takes that's going to cost you time and money, a lot more than the couple seconds that will take you to actually do the technique. Somebody's asking, are millennials and younger people more distracted? Yes. Yes, because they're on technology so much more. Um, and as much as technology is helpful, it's also very distracting. I mean, have you had, tried having conversation with people lately? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> right. Go into any restaurant. Do you see two people talking to each other a lot? Uh, half right. the time they're on their phones. You're right. Right. So, yes, they're definitely more distracted. That is affecting our brains in a lot of bad ways. I, there's also positives. We can't, you know... We can use technology to really help us. There's actually, um, it's sort of a half-joking term. It's called digital dementia. Um, the idea being that we, we like, we outsource our brains too much, which is why we then have to go play brain games and use our brains in different ways because we're not using it to begin with. So everything's so digital these days. Everyone's so on their technology that we're not like we sort of. First of all, we lost some of our power of, of cog- cognition to really think. You know, ask ask anyone to add up some numbers these days. What do they do? Pull out their phone. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't have to remember phone numbers anymore because they're right. all here. Yep. And that's why people don't even try anymore. So when they have to remember something, they go, I don't, how do I do this? How do I do this? I just have to tell you a quick story from one of my courses that I taught. This lady, she wasn't, how old was she? She was probably maybe 70. She came to my course and she said, for 10 years, I've been trying to remember my husband's cell phone. I can't remember my husband's cell phone. Now, that sounds pretty bad, right? Like you might even think she has dementia. For 10 years, she's been trying to remember her, her husband's cell phone number. And we did the technique and with the group. And we put her husband's cell phone number on the board. And we did the technique with that number. And we all helped her together. And then I tested her. You know, a few minutes later, she had it. An hour later, she was still, you know, we were still together. I tested her. She had it. She comes the next week, the next session, she comes back. And I just like, I started to walk into the room where I was teaching. And she says, oh my gosh, Rena, I'm eternally grateful to you. I said, whoa, whoa, what did I do right this time? She says, 
I have, I can remember my husband's cell phone number. I'm so excited. I've been trying so hard. I finally got it. And you know what that did for her self-esteem? I said to her, so I said to her, I hope your husband's okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> she was so excited that she finally got it, but it was a simple technique. It took a couple minutes to teach her, but either she didn't believe that she could really do it, or she just was trying like half brain, like, you know, trying, I don't know what she was trying, whatever she was trying wasn't working. But in a couple of minutes, I was able to do it. And a week later, she had it. And she was so excited. But that's just an example where we say we don't have to remember any phone numbers. But this woman really wanted to remember her husband's cell phone number. And she didn't know how to do it. Got it. Maybe she needed to remember it to get her, give it to her divorce attorney. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and apparently, he's uh, seeing me glance over at the comments and my notes because Joe's telling me to focus, Jeff. <laughs> right. You are definitely uh, multitasking, but that's okay. There are, I will say, there are times in life where we do need to multitask. But. Here's the point. Whenever possible, stop multitasking. Or when you need to remember something important. If I say to you, remember my phone number, there's no way you can remember my phone number if you're talking on the phone, checking Facebook, or talking to someone or writing an email. You must stop and focus if you want to remember anything important. So don't come to me and complain about memory if you're allowing yourself to be totally distracted and multitasking all the time. And you're 100% right, because every time I do look at the comments or the notes, I know you're talking, but I can't really hear what I hear you're saying something, but I can't focus on it. I tell people all the time, uh, salespeople, that when you're taking notes in a sales meeting, take them as quickly as you can, because every time you're writing something down, you can't be you're listening listen. carefully. Like I see people in seminars and webinars that I'm doing, you know, they're taking notes, but they can't hear the next thing I'm saying. So that focus thing is huge. Uh, <laughs> well, Ren, I, I assume he means Rena, is one fine bala boost. I'm not sure what a bala boost is, but I hope that's a compliment from my friend Peter Extra. <laughs> it is. A, a bala buster is like, um, it's like a Yiddish word. And it means, um, a bala buster is really a, a, some, it's, it means a, a good homemaker. But really what it means is someone who's like, can do a lot of good things, you know, <laughs> can keep and it that, all together. A bala buster is used colloquially as like someone who could keep it all together, right? In that case, I'm agreeing with my friend Peter Ekstrom. Uh <laughs> You posted on LinkedIn about a research study that shows that optimists are less likely to suffer from dementia. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I am typically an incredibly optimistic yes. person, although I have to admit that the politics on both sides in America right now make me way less optimistic about the future. But mostly I'm an optimistic person. Can, can you talk about that you know study what, a little bit? You know what, Jeff? The, I want to talk about Corona with this a little bit. The whole Corona, it was a little different here in Israel than in America, but there was so much anxiety. I mean, all over, there was so much anxiety. People were in the beginning, people were listening to the news every day. How many people died? How many people got Corona? And I saw what that was doing to my brain and to everyone's brains. And I stopped listening to the news right away. It's like, why does really, what does it matter to me? It, how many people got Corona today and how many people died? Now I'm not being apathetic. I felt terrible. I was praying for everyone that was sick. But really, what does it do to me to know the numbers every single day to listen to the news? It does. The only thing it does is make me a pessimist, make me nervous, make me more anxious. What does that do? It, it totally takes my energy, totally depletes me to be that optimistic because of the news. So I stopped listening to the news very early on. But then I saw all these older people quoting. Yeah, someone will turn off the news. I see, all the older people were like, they were home alone. They were listening to the news all day. And they're quoting the statistics and the numbers. And they got more depressed and more depressed and more depressed. And I would keep saying to them, 
turn off the news, please go find something more productive to do. And I give, we'll give them ideas. Go listen to this class. Go listen to that rabbi's lecture. Go pray. Go call your daughter in Honolulu. I don't care. Don't listen to the news. Because what does it do to us? It just pulls us down. So I'm using COVID as, as an example because that's what we're just coming off of. And it's a very powerful example of optimists and pessimists. I also saw a difference of people that, again, is it nature or nurture? But you see certain older people that are so positive, no matter what happens to them, them when you, they could have every disease in the book. And when you ask them how they are, they say they're fine. They are not fine, but they say they're fine because they're optimistic and they're, they're positive people. And then you have other older people where you ask them how they are. And it's what we call the organ recital. From head to toe, they tell you everything that hurts them. And I always say to my husband, I don't want to be like that when I get older. I don't want to be like that. I want to be optimistic and positive because I know that those people live longer. So, and, and I knew that in my head, but then when I saw that research, it's just so fascinating because those people, what do they do? They do habits and lifestyle that keeps them optimistic and keeps them healthier and happier. People that are more optimistic, they live longer. Um, again, nature nurture, we could debate. I, I think it's both. I think it's a nature and I think it's nurture. I think it, I think it's a lot of factors that go into why some people are more optimistic than others. Mm. Um, but it's not your life circumstances because I see people, we, we, my husband has an aunt who lost a husband at a young age, lost parents at a young age, lost siblings at a young age. She, she has been through every terrible disaster in the world and she's an amazingly optimistic person. And every time I look at her, I go, how is she smiling? How is she smiling? But she is living with purpose and meaning. And she's going to live, please God, to be very old because she is incredibly, incredibly optimistic and grateful. Gratitude, of course, plays into the optimism, right? The gratitude and optimism goes, go together. And we also know that gratitude, people that are grateful, they just, you know, they live longer. They, Or maybe we see the 100-year-olds that are so grateful for everything. And they're just, I, I always get amazed when I see a very elderly person and they're just so positive and so grateful. It's like, this is why you lived so long. <laughs> but they do things. Their brain thinks positively. They do things. They they exercise. They eat healthy. They do things that make them make them healthy. And if they're committed to a healthy, grateful, faithful, healthy way of living, like it's just, it all goes together. It's not just that they're happy people. Like I, I believe there's a whole lifestyle that goes with it, a whole perspective, a whole genre that goes with that type of lifestyle and you see it you see it i've seen holocaust survivors that are incredibly happy people after the most horrific things they should not be happy people but and they live i, I mean i i have spoken i have done uh in-person talks to people in their 90s that are holocaust survivors and every time i do it i'm totally amazed at their optimism yeah i, I struggle with the news thing because i want to stay informed because we live in a fast-changing and dangerous world but it is, it's almost all bad. It's, it's, it's just terrific. And I'm, I'm laughing internally because I'm struggling. I wanted to mention a book and I just can't remember the name right now. Victor Frankl's fa uh, famous book about. Uh, it's, you know called, it's called um, A Man's Search for Meaning. There you go. A Man's Search for yeah. Meaning. Exactly right. And it's all yeah. about a guy who was in, uh, you know, uh, yes, prison the and how he, he, you know, he had purpose to stay alive and it, it got him through it. And uh, it's a very powerful book, very powerful oh. lesson. Um, by the way, when that happens to you, when when you just can't remember the name, first thing you do is deep breath. I was trying to picture the cover. Uh, right. Yeah. So that's a visual image and that's a good one. But take a deep breath because your brain needs oxygen. So the minute you can't recall anything, the very first thing you do is 
couple deep breaths and you say to yourself, it's going to come to me instead of I'm an idiot or why can't I remember this? It's going to come to me. Just take a few deep breaths. I didn't say I'm an idiot, but I was like, come on, Jeff, you, you, yeah. you've mentioned it a million times. It's a famous book. Uh, unbelievable. Are, are there actually there's something else I want to ask first? And I, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this right. You've been a therapist in a Snezzlin room, Snozzlin room. What the Snoozlin. heck is that? OK, yeah, that's a really interesting Snoozlin. And it's a Dutch Snoozlin. concept. Snoozlin means to sniff and to doze. It is a multi-sensory room that they use to help calm agitated dementia patients. So um, I actually learned this technique in America, but then when I came to Israel, I helped one of the organizations here build the first Newsland room here. And I trained the, I, I also did another course on it here and I helped train the work, the staff to work in it. It's amazing. It's a non-therapeutic therapy, which means that most therapies have an agenda. You have to do this, you have to do that. This is a, it's a quiet, darkened room with beautiful sensory stimulation stuff. Like for example, um, a bubble tube with mirrors, soft music, lavender, which is relaxing or different smells. And we take people in there. I used to work with people with dementia in there and it just helps calm them down. And it's therapeutic, but I don't ask, they don't have to do anything. All they have to do is relax. It's, it's no agenda therapy, meaning it's therapeutic because it's, it's helping the senses relax, but you don't need any cognition. So for people that are struggling with cognition and they're agitated, and let's say they're in a nursing home or assisted living or an adult daycare, like they're very frustrated and uh, maybe their behavior is not what the staff wants to see because they're frustrated. And let's say the staff really doesn't know what to do with them. So I used to take them into this newsroom, give them one-on-one -on -one attention, and but they didn't have to do anything. It just, they sit in the rocking chair, they look at the bubble tubes, they smell lavender, and we give them something soft. I know a few people who could use that. Yeah. So they also, interestingly, use it with children with disabilities as well. I use, I used to work with the elderly with it, but they also use it with children with all sorts of disabilities. Um, and it's amazing. So that I, I have experienced that, but I haven't done that recently, but it's an amazing concept. Interesting. I, I, uh, I actually create that in my own home because I have a fountain yeah. that's constantly going and I'm always using uh, essential oils. I, yeah. I don't like the smell of orange, so I'm constantly doing that and surrounding myself with good uh, smells. You mentioned uh, a healthy lifestyle before. Are there any, other than eating healthy in general, are there particular foods that are better for memory? Yes. So here are the top, the top few that you'll see in all the research. The berries, strawberries, blueberries, we know blueberries, antioxidants. Anything that has antioxidants is good for the brain. So the blueberries and strawberries, broccoli, Broccoli, spinach, the greens, really any green leafy vegetable. We want to add that into our, our diet. Because I love Brussels sprouts. Yeah. all Yes. All the green stuff. has. In fact, every every color vegetable has different vitamins in it. So really, we want to eat a rainbow of salads. We want the greens and the reds and the yellows and the purples uh, because each one has different vitamins in it. So really, we want to have a variety. But specifically for the brain, when we talk about antioxidants, we're talking about the green leafy vegetables, the broccoli. And then um, olive oils, walnuts, yes, the nuts, nuts, omega-3, fish. So salmon, omega-3. Now, if you don't eat a lot of fish, um, you could take the supplements, but omega-3 is very good for the fatty acids. Avocado, avocado also has that healthy fat in it. Avocado is really good for the brain. I can eat um, avocado on oil. anything. What'd you say? I could eat avocado on anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, olive oil is very good. There's... Um, Coconut oil, which is a little bit controversial. Some people love it. Some people say it's a fad. Uh, but I, I've heard anecdotal stuff about, you know, coconut oil. That's the healthy oils. Um, chocolate, high 
the high cocoa, not the cheap sugary stuff. The 70-80% cocoa, yeah, the bittersweet, the stuff that doesn't have sugar in it. But there's something in chocolate that is supposed to be very good for the brain. There's a um, an ingredient in chocolate. Uh, so you can have, and again, we're not eating a whole chocolate bar a day. We're having, you know, two squares or three squares of high cocoa, um, the, the good stuff, like the expensive stuff. <laughs> Dark chocolate as opposed um, to milk chocolate. Exactly. I'm not, betting a bunch of people. I'm, I'm betting a bunch of people just like me went uh, went chocolate. Excellent. Right, but it has to be the right kind of chocolate. Pete's asking um, about Prevagen. Does Prevagen actually work? And I'm glad he asked that because I've been I, I see the commercials all the time. I go, I wonder if I should be taking Prevagen. Okay, um, I'm going to be honest here. I don't know. Um, can you ask a doctor? <laughs> you need to ask the doctors that are doing the research on that. I am not into the drugs. I mean, the doctors that I follow are all saying that the drugs don't work, but I don't know. You got to ask the people that know about that one. So I, I, yeah, I'm, 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 I don't know the latest on that. Sorry. Got it. Um, what's the deal with it's on the tip of my tongue. Yes. Okay. That's one of my I've said that a million things. times. Yeah. Everyone says that a million times. So it's on the tip of my tongue. Again, we're not focusing. You got to focus on what you want to recall. Then you got to take a deep breath, get oxygen to your brain. And here's what you do is you're going to search your memory bank for anything related to what you're trying to recall. So let's say I'm trying to remember your name. So I'm going to be like, where did I meet him? What do I remember him looking like? I'm just going to search my whole memory bank for anything that's going to help me come up with your name. And, um, and I'm going to even go through the ABC, A, B, C, D, O, J, Jeff, that's it. So the recall issue is take a deep breath. Focus. Don't like if you're talking on the phone and you're trying to come up with something. No, you got to be focused on what you're trying to remember. Search your memory bank for any contextual cues that are going to help you. Go through the ABC um, and and really one of the best things again is that is the deep breathing and the script that you tell yourself. So when you can't recall, don't start with it negative. I'm such an idiot. I'm getting dementia. What happened to my memory? Because whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. So if you believe you cannot come up with my name, you can't. But if you believe I have the, all the tools I need, I know how to recall names, it's going to come to me soon, it will. It might take a minute, it might take an hour, it might take a day, but it will come to you. And oftentimes, this is interesting, many times it comes to you in the shower or when you're about to fall asleep or when you're relaxing. Why? Because that's when our brains are are focused, relaxed, and, and and working well. When we're stressed and trying to remember, we contract everything to try to remember what we're trying to remember, we panic. And our body goes into shutdown mode instead of oxygen, right? Mm. So I, oh, yeah. our brightest ideas come to us in the shower because that's where our brains are working and relaxed. Yeah. Brilliant. I, I often, first of all, get my best ideas in the shower. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've said to somebody, it's on the tip of my tongue. It'll come to me at two in the morning. I'll give you a call jokingly, right. except stuff does come at, you know, nine o'clock at night. And it's like, oh, that was the thing I was trying. And it's such a great feeling when you actually do recall something that you couldn't recall. Yeah. Uh, I guess I should try to remember those good feelings to re reinforce that I actually do have a good memory. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and also, and also to speaking. believe, also to believe that you can improve it. Like if you believe there's nothing you could do to improve it, then there's nothing you do to improve it. 
But the more you believe in yourself and in your own capabilities to improve your memory, just like you can improve your fitness level, you can improve your brain fitness and brain cognition and ability to remember things. All right, Rena, I'm telling you, I have a great memory. I'm not sure if I believe that at this moment, but that's my speaking for now. Um, what What is Monday Memory Motivation? Oh, okay. Thanks for asking that. So that I just created two months ago. It's I decided once a month I want people to have the chance to hop on and do brain exercises with me because people say, I don't have time. I don't know what to do. For $12, it is like, it's ridiculously cheap. I don't know why I'm doing it so cheap, but I want people to have a chance to hop on and just do it. So anyone can hop on the first Monday of the month at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Um, it's actually coming up this Monday. You hop on 45 minutes. I give a tip or I teach a tip or a technique about memory. We do brain exercises and then we have a question and answer and you can ask me anything about memory. So that's your chance to hop on live with me, do brain exercises in a group. And it's really fun. It's been very fun. Well, uh, let's see. Somebody says, what you profess, you possess. I like that yes. very much. Yes. And Pete Ekstrom said chocolate. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah. so let's say somebody's interested in speaking with you or taking one of your programs. I'm sharing my screen right now. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, there's my website and my email. It's Rena. If you if you remember my name after seeing it on the screen for the past hour, then you can remember my website and my email. So it's RenaYudkowski.com, Arena at RenaYudkowski.com. I'm happy to um, answer your emails. If you have a personal or private question or you want to discuss memory with me, I'm happy to get on a call with you. And um, you can check out my email, my website for all my different um, offers and classes and courses. I have a lot going on. I have um, I have a master class coming up called You Name It, and it's only the techniques for names. So, Jeff, if you say I don't have time for your whole course because my course is 14 sessions, you say I just want the techniques for names. It's a two-part master class. We're doing it September 19th. And Jeff, if you give me permission, I'll I'll share the link under this video in your Facebook group. Actually, I was going to tell you that I don't normally allow that, but I think everybody would benefit from it. So okay. if you would please post that, uh, including your contact information, uh, you know, in, yeah. in the group, that would be great. I, I'm sure there are people who are as interested as I am, even though I have a great memory and I remember everything. Uh, <laughs> but you I, can improve it. Uh, well, I, I'm impressing myself right now because I now remember that Rena means joy. There you go. That was brilliant. Now I got to think of something for Jeff. Although pe people, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've gone, dude, do that. I am now a great memory uh, person for names, and I'm going to email you a month from now, assuming I remember, to let you know how well it's working. <laughs> well, you, you have to, yeah, I didn't teach the whole technique in this session. So you got to learn the technique step by step and practice it with me, and then you'll really have it. Like, I didn't even do my last name. I have a picture that goes along. I know we're running out of time. In in my master class, I show you a picture that will help you remember my last name. You will not forget my last name after you see this picture. All right, so we are out of time, but there's one more question. I, I I don't know if it's a joke or not, but is it true what they say about an elephant's memory? Somebody said, I have a memory like an elephant. So um, that's what they say. They say elephants have good memories. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. I've heard that. I've seen that, you know, with the elephant is associated with memory. Um, I don't know exactly why. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not sure what that is. I think it's just like a association. <laughs> I'll have to remember to look that up. Yeah. So, Rita, thank you so much. This is fascinating stuff, uh, important certainly to everybody, especially salespeople, because we do need to remember lots of stuff, yes. including people's names. Thank you so much for sharing your brilliance generously with us. I really appreciate it. I hope everybody else did too. Uh, if you're listening or watching here in America, Monday is Labor Day. Please have a wonderful and safe holiday. And I'll end as I always do. Please remember... 
that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Thank you, Rena. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All the best. So long. 